Hey there. Welcome to part two of the very special two-part episode of the Trailblazing in Color podcast featuring the stories and lifetime achievements of my grandfather, Troy Chapman. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you'll definitely want to go back and take a listen. Thank you for staying on this trailblazing journey with us. I am so happy you're here. Welcome to the Trailblazing in Color podcast, where we talk to change makers and innovators focused on upending systems not designed by or for them to create a more inclusive and equitable world. I'm your host, Sarah Chapman Becerra. Welcome to the show. Let's talk a little bit about your international efforts too. So you're you're learning how to scale this work both at the national level, at the county level in terms of how do we really put this into practice and make it work and make it sustainable. And now you've been you're starting to be brought in and sought out as an international expert in financing affordable housing. How did that come to pass and what did some of that work look like? Um I again it was great and I a lot of it was successful. Some of it wasn't. We we tried. To, basically, it wasn't my developing housing. It was trying to explain to to other people what I did, how I did it, how I got it funded, uh, how I got it planned, that sort of thing. It was trying to pass on the knowledge that I had to others, and that worked out pretty well. I uh, had a chance to work in. Uh, um, a lot of different countries um, and just pass on the knowledge. Uh, some in some kind in some instances I know what happened as a result of that and some instances I don't. Uh, the only place that it was an absolute failure was in South Africa. Hmm. Why was that? Uh, the government really wasn't ready for us. The government wasn't ready to to listen to what we had to say. Um, basically, South Africa had just gotten over apartheid. Um, the government was run uh, by blacks, but they had given away all of the natural wealth of the country. Um, they had the government, but they didn't control the gold mines, the diamond mines, that sort of thing. So you had a government that was inexperienced, that also didn't have much money. And you mm -hmm. still were facing bigotry. So, and I don't, get, I don't think that's changed that much in South Africa to this day. Hmm. The countries that you worked with that were successful, you said you got to see it through or, or see the outcomes of that. What were some of the changes? Oh, uh, they build housing. Uh, a lot of a lot of the housing they they built became affordable because they built the kind of housing that you build in a factory and put on a slab. Um, hmm. So, you know, basically we talked about things like density and supportive services on infant item, um, but but that's happened. Uh, in Puerto Rico, it caused uh, modular housing to be built. Uh, so I. I I think that we helped in a lot of different places. And when you'd come in and and start to work with a, a new government or, or new leaders, what were some of the 
innovative things that you brought to them? Like you were brought for the work that you've done to replicate it. What were some of the the standouts that they were looking to you to solve? Oh, it wasn't basically a solving of a problem. They wanted to do what we were doing. They just wanted to know how. Okay. Replicate it. Yeah. Yeah. Take us through the steps. Help us bring this and and what did readiness look like? So they have the financing. No, a lot of times, a lot have... of times they didn't have the financing. And that's where you, your expertise also shown because that was such a, such a big part of what you were able to do in each of these housing authorities is access funding. Well, not to... that takes a lot of influence. <laughs> well, here yes, but not overseas. Overseas, you can uh-huh. simply tell people what it is that you're doing, how you're doing it how you're getting it financed. But if they don't have the banking system, uh, if they don't have the political influencers that you have, uh, it could just be a dream. You know, it doesn't mean that they're not going to go out and get it. But like we have to convince our leaders, we have to convince members of Congress, uh, members of of the House and Senate, local governments, that this is what we want to do. That's what they had to do as well. And normally that's where they started. You know, they started off, mm. we have a problem. And here's here's what we need. Yeah. What were some of the tactics like in the U.S., what were some of the ways that as we're having listeners think about their own roles in influencing and moving decision makers, and especially when it comes to investment of funds, what were some of the, the approaches or tactics that you found worked? Was it Elect, was it the data? Was it the- electing the people that are going to do something about it? We have, we in this country have been talking for years now about the need of the homeless, people who live on the streets. That wasn't true 20, 30 years ago because we had hospitals uh, and the medical system that would help resolve that problem. Uh, we destroyed it. So now we have uh, hundreds of thousands of people who live in streets and under overpasses. And we say, and many of those people have problems that are unsolvable on their own. They need help. And we've been talking about helping them for years and we haven't done it. Hmm. You know, we still drive past an underpass and there's tents and sleeping bags and people living there, and we say, what are we going to do about it? And nobody does anything about it. Uh, and, and that's true all over. Chester County is one of the wealthiest counties in Pennsylvania, okay? Uh, the community that I live in is pretty well off, but Chester County is also known for the development of mushrooms, okay? Uh, and part of our county... Uh, we have huge mushroom farms. Those mushroom farms are generally attended to and employ uh, Mexicans, okay? Those Mexicans are then housed around those, uh, that industry in Chester County. And the housing for them is terrible. You got guys that come up from Mexico or Venezuela or someplace else, Colombia. They get a job in the mushroom industry and they find an old farmhouse out there and 20 or 30 of them move into it and it becomes a a pig pen. And the government does, does nothing about it. And you say, hey, look, 
there's a housing problem for migrant workers in this part of Chester County. And they say, what migrant workers? <laughs> you mean there are migrant workers in this part of Chester County and they have housing problems? Mm. Ah, come on, you know? Uh, and then you have to prove that you have Mexican workers that need help with housing in a part of the county and they say, well, prove it. So all of a sudden you, you look around and you say, if you take a look at our grade schools, our grade schools are now becoming full of young children that don't speak English. Where do you think they're coming from? But nothing happens. And I'm sure a, a lot of that is also true of San Diego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there, there are a lot of, it's not an ignored problem, but it is a very large problem that takes a long-term commitment. Like our current mayor, Todd Gloria, is is very connected and a big part of his platform and the work he is doing is focused on homelessness and, and supporting the unhoused. But if we're, but our next mayor may not. And so how do we sustain that as a focus when our elected officials are changing? Well, vote <laughs> and uh, continue to vote on our our last episode, that was our guest Christine So's advice too, is vote. If I have one piece of advice, get out there and and see the platforms that are that are focused on on this issue. Exactly. And influence what happens. Use use your voting power. Exactly. Do you consider yourself retired? Yeah. When did you consider yourself retired? How long? About ten. 15, almost 20 years ago. Okay. And yet you're still involved. You you are working with the Civil Service Commission in Westchester. Can you tell us a little bit about that work? Uh, it's easy. Um, the Civil Service Commission uh, in Pennsylvania and in Chester County really is responsible for making sure that the rules, regulations, and... Uh, uh, are, are followed in regard to hiring policemen. Um, and, and it's a simple process. Um, most people are aware of the college entrance exams, okay? Well, in order to become a policeman in the state of Pennsylvania, you have to pass a series of exams all the way up the ladder from becoming a, a, a community uh, foot patrolman up to becoming chief of police. There's a certain process you have to go through, including uh, training at the police academy or the FBI academy, and then training that takes place after that. Um, all we do is we make sure that that training is in place and that the people who are policemen go through that training have, and have taken the test. It's like taking the Quad College interest exams. Okay, and we are the people that make sure that the people who are administering those exams are honest and fair. Hey, if you are enjoying the show, be sure you subscribe and join our community at trailblazingincolor.com, where we share resources, connect you with other amazing trailblazers in our trailblazers circles, and amplify our collective power. Hope we see you there. Okay. Back to the show. So 
So that's why I asked the question about retired. Yes, you have a, a lot of free time to do with what you will, but you're still engaged. You're still contributing. You've never stopped. Did we – let's go back. Did we – can we talk about any other career highlights that we haven't already covered? Not that I know of. No, you did. Yeah. Well, looking back at a, a full lifetime of commitment to improving, improving housing, improving just equity and access to social services too, because I, I kept hearing that as a through line of of the work that you did. Let's not just build build the structure. Let's not just create the access to the physical space, but actually to the services that will that will allow the residents to live a full and and robust life where they have access to Mm -hmm. fundamental needs, but also needs that will help them thrive. Thinking about all of your accomplishments, which ones, I mean, we talked about a lot, but what, what are some of the most meaningful or personal rewarding things that you've done? Can you think of a particular story or celebration? Um, not, not really. We've had some joyous times, but, um, beyond that, not, not, not really. Um, we did a we we did a lot of stuff here. One of the things that I'm proud of is that one of the programs that we instituted in Chester County was scattered site housing, and using the Section Eight certificate that I was telling you about as part using that money that comes in combined with their ability to pay something for home ownership. In other words, it's not just rent, but you take the federal grant and what you're providing toward that grant and you use that to buy a house. Uh, we did a couple hundred of those here in Chester County. And the amazing thing is that most of the people that moved into those houses are still living there. And the same is true in uh, Montgomery County, Maryland. Um, the story that I like to tell about Montgomery County, Maryland uh, which made me proud back then is we were talking about taking 20% of the houses that were built by new developers in the county that came in to get uh, building permits, that 20% of the units that they built had to be affordable, okay? So now we're dealing with a new, a new problem. And that problem was that, all right, guys building 100 units, and we got 20 units that are affordable. Those 20 families that buy those 20 units are going to be identifiable. So what does that mean in regard to their relationship to the rest of the community? You know, you're going to have people throwing stones at them because they're getting some federal subsidy. So we went in and and I did this. I made sure that those 20 families that were moving in didn't tell anybody that they were getting a subsidy. You know, that's between you and me. You know, you're getting a house in that community, you're buying it, you know, don't move in and tell people that you're part of this government program. And they said, okay. People moved in and I was having a problem because this, there was one of the communities that we had gone into had built houses in and rented out. The people living there didn't want those people living in their community. 
So they came in to meet with me. And <laughs> the guy who was leading it was one of the people that we provided the subsidy for. They hit it very well. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I don't know what I don't know what happened there, but you know, hey, yeah, you know, it's working. It's working. They're still there. I mean, and think about the the generational impact that that has. Being able to be a homeowner, having that to pass down, building generational wealth mm-hmm. that otherwise would not have existed because that accessibility wouldn't have been possible otherwise. There's a, there's a program going on now, uh, which I think is interesting. Uh, the funds haven't been awarded for it yet, but there's a fatherhood program, which is going to be funded uh, by the Biden administration. There are a lot of fathers who don't play a meaningful role in the lives of their children, particularly uh, very low-income families that the father has disappeared or isn't around. And so what they're trying to do now is come up with programs that will bring those families back together. Uh, This happened about 20 years ago and it worked. Uh, So we're going to see if that can happen again. Uh, You have many fathers who live in low-income communities who aren't with their children because they can't be. Take the Section 8 certificate I was talking about. It's easy to get a Section 8 certificate if you're a woman with children but not if your husband's with you. So if there's a man in the household, you might not get a subsidy. The same is true with moving into assisted housing, that if you're a woman with children, you go to the top of the list. If you're a guy, unless you are a military that has been wounded or you have another problem, you're not gonna get a subsidy. So you have a whole lot of fathers who aren't with their families because the federal government in some ways makes it impossible for them to be there. It's more possible, yeah, to live separately and, and have exactly. the children house. Exactly. In a exactly. Hmm. I think that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really glad that that's a focus. And also you've, you've experienced this before and you know that, that it works and there are certain levers that we – we pull to ensure that it works, but keeping families together is is a big is a big piece of of how we can create that sustainable, mm-hmm. you know, community and life together too. Hmm. Well, looking back at at all all that all of your leadership experiences and working with a lot of different leaders at really in really high positions, what are some of the qualities? that make a make an effective leader like what is it essential when it comes to leading these large scale initiatives what do you think we can all take into account as as being effective leaders in leading social change i don't know all of them, all the people that i came across were really wonderful people and all of the jobs that that i've had the only people that i thought were problematic believe it or not was with the peace corps and that wasn't with the upper echelons of the Peace Corps, but many of the people that went to work for the Department of State back in those days were bigoted in themselves. Uh, but again, this was in a different age. Uh, so I'm hoping that that's not true. 
uh, when it came to the Peace Corps placing me in various places, uh, for example, give you an example, they would say, um, uh, hey, there's an opening for you. We want to we want to ship you to the Philippines. And you'd say, OK, I, I'll, I'd love to go to the Philippines. And then they'd come back and say, well, people in the Philippines don't don't really think you would fit in. And I'm saying, why? Oh, your skin color isn't quite what the leadership down there wants, you know. So, so you know, I, I'm I'm pretty sure a lot of that has changed. Yes, uh, in some places, <laughs> maybe not all. I mean, at least they were honest, so you could uh, knew what was going on. Yeah, yeah. Say, okay, well, that's that's not for me then, right? Uh, is there anything you would have? Reflecting back on all of this, just is there anything you would have done differently or changed? Oh, good. I thought that would be your answer. Well, let's start to wind down. I want to ask about whose trailblazed the path for you. How my mom and my dad. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of, I mean, loving, caring, supportive, really looking out for how to set you up for success in the long term, sending you to to boarding school and anything else you want to just think about they, 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 were, they were really participants in the community. Mm. Uh, they cared about each other. I grew up in a community when I was growing up. Uh, you know, you talk about uh, uh, who wrote the book uh, of kids being raised by a community. It takes a community to raise a child. I was raised by a black community in York that was loving, uh, that knew each other. Uh, it was wonderful. If only the town hadn't been a bigoted place, I'd have been a happy camper. <laughs> Just that part. Just that part. But, yeah, to be surrounded by community, to know that you have have love all around you in, in, in this container, it just helps with what's possible. Hopefully it sounds like helped you see what was possible for yourself and that you would be supported. Mm -hmm. Any final thoughts, anything else you want to share? I think you've covered so much. Well, let me ask as, or let me just acknowledge and say, you know, you never really know how much influence your, your community, your family has on you until you really reflect back. And I just want to say, Thank you, Granddad, for modeling what it looks like to be the change you wish to see in the world. I came by my community community organizing efforts, honestly. It's because you and, and so many of our family members and generations before modeled what it looks like to see something wrong, to see injustice and say, I'm going to do something about it. I am one person but I have a voice and I have the ability to to influence and bring others along. So let me see how that looks and let me make a, an entire career and lifetime out of that. So I want to thank you on behalf of me for role modeling the way and also on behalf of many, many nations that you've impacted and particularly ours in terms of access to affordable housing, one of the most fundamental things we need to feel safe and and like we can have full full lives. So thank you for being my grandfather and thank you for all that you've done throughout well, you your also entire have to, life. You, you also have to thank your mom and dad. Mm. 
your dad, who is an accomplished uh, musician, uh, your mom, who has been a school teacher all of her life and has led a lot of children uh, down the right path. Uh, you were raised by a, a pretty substantial, loving family. I agree. And I am so grateful. And I'm so grateful for you coming on, not knowing what where we were going to go necessarily, and just sharing your wisdom every step of the way. So thank you for being on the Trailblazing in Color podcast, Granddad. You're welcome. Give my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren some hugs for me, will you? I sure will. Okay. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Trailblazing in Color podcast. If you found this conversation meaningful, please rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. You can also follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at Trailblazing in Color. Season two of the podcast was produced in partnership with the team at Podcast Bestie. And our theme song was arranged by guitarist Troy Chapman. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad.